change. That's what we're going to talk about on today's edition of the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast, where we look at how to make marriage into a passionate adventure and not a boring to-do list. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog, and I am so excited because it's April, which means springtime and new things, and we are looking at some new changes that we can make to marriage this month. That's the series that we're going to be doing all month. It's going to be super practical, super fun, and I hope it's going to be super hopeful too, because what I truly believe is that God wants us to have amazing marriages, but that most of the ways that we build those marriages are in the little choices that we make every day. So let's paint the picture of what a marriage often starts out like. You know, all of us marry our best friends, don't we? At least I sure hope you do. I mean, you get married to this person because you like being with them. You really want to be with them. You don't want to be apart. You can't bear the thought of being apart. You know, you love being close to them. You have fun together. They make you laugh. These are all the reasons that we walk down the aisle. But what all too often happens, let's face it, is a couple of years go by and you don't feel close like that again. You don't feel like your best friends at all. And what happened? Often it's not any one big thing. It's just that you chose little things along the way. You made little choices along the way that made you feel less and less connected. Because let's face it, life happens and life is going to naturally pull you apart. You're going to have different jobs or maybe one of you is staying at home and one of you is working so you're going to spend a lot of time apart. That means you're going to each have different stresses that the other person isn't always going to understand. You're going to have different family issues. You're going to have different friend issues. You even just live in different bodies, which means you're going to have different health issues. And all of these things can start to pull us apart. We have different ways of looking at money. We have different expectations going into marriage. And one by one, these currents come into our lives that pull us apart, that cause us to drift away from each other. And so it's in those little choices that we can make that can stop that drift and can bring us back to each other again. And that's what I want to look at. I talked on this Tuesday on the blog on certain turning points in our marriage. These opportunities that we have in a split second to choose whether we're going to move towards each other or move away from each other. And remember, habits are so important when we are building oneness because what a habit does is it replaces mental energy with learned behavior. There's so many things that we have to think about on a daily basis. When we don't have to think about something, it makes it easier to do it. So the more that we do something, the more we take away the mental energy that goes into that thing and the more likely it is to get done. When things stop being a decision and start being something we just automatically do, then we're more likely to do them. I mean, how many of you actually have to make a decision to brush your teeth in the morning? I hope very few of you. You know, I hope that it just naturally happens as you walk into the bathroom in the morning, first thing in the morning, you brush your teeth. You don't have to make that decision because it's become a habit. Well, in marriage, sometimes we can either build good habits or we can break good habits by making bad decisions and by breaking this this good trajectory that we've been on. And so I look at some of those habit type turning points on Tuesday too. But here's just a little turning point, okay? Your spouse is heading for bed, but you're in the middle of something. What do you do? Do you go follow your spouse to bed or do you keep doing what you're doing? And many of us, you know, you make that first decision, well, I'm really busy right now or I'm in the middle of this, I'll come to bed later. And now it becomes acceptable 
for you to go to bed at different times. And so you're more likely to make that decision again. And now instead of being a couple that generally goes to bed together, you become a couple that generally goes to bed apart. I don't think that's healthy for a marriage. I think that if you want sex to be more frequent, you should probably more frequently be in the place where sex tends to happen at the same time together, okay? Because often sex doesn't happen because we schedule it. It happens because we didn't plan it, but we happen to be in bed together. So the less time that you are in bed together, the less likely this is going to happen. But besides that, forget about sex. What about just simply the fact that when you head to bed together, you touch each other the last thing of the day. You can pray together. You can go over what you're doing tomorrow. These things matter. Or what about if dinner's ready, where are you going to go eat it? Are you going to go sit at a table and talk or are you going to watch Netflix? I have to admit my husband and I do watch Netflix a lot now during dinner that often it's just the two of us watching. But then immediately after that, we tend to go for a walk where we talk a lot. So, you know, we do spend a lot of time talking. But one thing that we did when the kids were little was we always ate dinner at a table and we always talked. That was our time. There wasn't a lot of other time where the four of us were always together talking. So it became a natural time to communicate. So make sure there's a natural time in your day that you do communicate. And especially if you're having kids, dinner is a, such an important one. But then there's other kinds of habits. Like how about just simply the habit of telling your spouse when something big is happening in your life? Or how about this one? It's Sunday morning and your spouse doesn't really want to go to church. What do you do? Do you stay home from church or do you go anyway and get the kids ready to go? I think that when we start saying that church is optional, it really becomes a lot less likely that you're going to go. And the fact is that if we want Christian community, if we want healthy people in our lives that are going to point us to God and help us on our journey, we need to be making church a regular thing. And if you're not in a church where you have that healthy community, and there are many churches that don't have that healthy community, please find another church. So that's another turning point. But then there's the ones that are more fundamental. And these are the ones I really want to dwell on today. And those are these opportunities that we have to either share what's going on in our heart or not. To either share a concern or not. One of the ones we were talking about all last month was about sex. If he's doing something that doesn't feel good, you need to speak up. You need to tell him what you actually like and what you don't like. Because if you don't, he thinks you're actually feeling good and he has he has no way of knowing any different and you're going to start feeling like sex is a chore because it never feels nice to you. So we need to speak up. And the earlier you speak up about this, the better it is. Many women you know, have horrible honeymoons, but they don't want to say anything because it's their honeymoon. But then as time goes by, it gets harder and harder and harder to say something. And then you figure you're just stuck with this your whole life. You know, we've got to speak up. It really does matter. But often the big ones that we have trouble speaking up about are the ones just where we feel hurt or we feel not heard. And instead of sharing that, we keep it inside. And then we wonder why we're growing more distant. Peacemaker versus peacekeeper, they're not the same thing. One addresses conflicts and deals with them. One shoves conflicts under the rug to keep things on an even keel. God calls us to make peace, and sometimes that's messy, even in marriage. That's one of the thoughts in my book, Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage. Don't settle for an okay marriage. Get a great one with my book, Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage. 
Hello and welcome to Millennial Marriage. I'm Rebecca Lindenbach, the token millennial of to love, honor, and vacuum. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here with my mom, Sheila. Hello. And I'm actually hosting this one today, even though mom normally does, because this is a topic that I am actually very passionate about. So take it away. Let me hear your passion, babe. Yes. (laughs) So... There's a certain strain of comment that we get a lot on the blog, often from women who are in their 30s or 40s who are just a little sad that they haven't found anyone yet, you know? And they're just saying, why? I did everything right. I never had sex. I never, I haven't even, like, been kissed yet. Like, why didn't God reward me with the great husband that I deserve? Yeah, and I I always get so sad at those because... I get so sad. I got married so young, and I just, I honestly can't imagine the loneliness there and I, totally. I I wish I had better words because I don't and I completely yeah. that's something that I really don't feel like I can speak into their experience mm-hmm. I mean for Pete's sake I got married at 20 yeah yeah you know so that's not what I'm trying to speak into here we agree there's a lot of hurt and that's really hard and you know all we can really offer is our best advice and maybe a shoulder to cry on sometimes yep but Someone responded to one of these comments, which was less sad and more angry and bitter, with a really good point. (laughs) Okay, so what'd she say? What she said was that, yes, in general, it seems like the women who are more kind of flirty or sexual tend to get the guy. And that seems really unfair. But also, maybe the problem is with how abstinence education is being taught. Because a lot of these girls, all they're ever told is don't ever have sex, make sure you never have sex, and make sure that no one ever takes sex from you. And so they start to unconsciously give off these really no-touchy vibes, and they aren't ever actually told, you you got to actually get into a romantic relationship first. And so they approach men with the expectation that they're going to try to take sex, and they want to be as pure and chaste as they possibly can, which is great... But what happens is they skip ahead too far. And so it's not that they weren't ever picked or they were rejected. It's that they took themselves out of the running from day one. Yeah, and that's a really hard thing to say Mm -hmm. because, I mean, I know, I don't think there's any one way to act in order to get a husband. Absolutely not. And, but I'm also not one of those people that thinks that God has one particular person out there for everyone and we just have to wait until Mm -hmm. that person comes along. I think that... That there are things you can do. I remember reading um, Gary Thomas's book, Sacred Search, that I made you read too. And one of the things he said is like, you know, if you want to get married, you got to kind of put yourself out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's really exactly. what this woman is saying. So, so tell me what it means to you to say that you give off the wrong vibe. Yeah. And this is something where pretty much what I think of is the fact that so many, I, I saw this again and again and again with, with people is Girls are so afraid that they're going to make a mistake in a relationship that they aren't willing to just have any fun. Mm -hmm. You know? And so these guys are, first of all, shaking in their boots at the thought of asking out a girl. Like, it is terrifying for these poor guys. (laughs) You know, they're these nice guys who they just want to settle down and have a family. And they just want to find a nice Christian girl. And I'm going to be honest, but who are they going to ask out? The one who's flirting with them and telling them how funny they are? Or the one who's kind of being quiet and making sure to only give short answers so they don't lead anyone on? Right. Like, it's just at some point, yes, we don't need to be sex, like, sexy or sexual to get a partner but you do have to show interest yeah and by flirty you're not talking about i'm not talking about showing up to church with cleavage yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm not talking about showing up to a mixer in a bikini that's not what we're talking about Uh we're talking about just being friendly Mm -hmm. 
You know, maybe asking someone if they want to grab coffee sometime. Yeah. Or, or you know, texting, like getting their number and then text them, hey, it was great meeting you today. Hope you have a wonderful week. Right. Or even just something simple like keeping a conversation going <laughs> if you're talking mm-hmm. to them. And not making them do all of the work. I think that a lot of girls are raised to think that if they have to do any of the work or, pers- or pursue at all, they're talking to a guy who isn't following his godly calling to be a strong leader man. Mm-hmm. And sometimes guys just need a little bit of encouragement. Yeah. I think that they do too. And I think I think that if we don't teach girls especially enough how to have healthy relationships with guys. Like where you're just simply mm-hmm. being their friend and you're being friendly. Because you know what? Most people marry within their social circle. So they're either going to marry a friend or they're going to marry a friend of a friend. So- well, between you, me, and Katie, all of us did that, right? You met dad through your social circle. Right. I met Connor through a bunch of my really good friends at IVCF. Katie met her husband through me. Yeah, well, through, yeah. He was through part of my our friend church. Group. He was part of our church, but I mean, they really got close because... I hung out with them so much. Right, right. But the point is, the more friends that you have, the more likely it is that you will encounter someone that you could marry. So, yeah, and we're definitely not trying to say that it's it's like, oh, well, you should have done these things better. No, that's not at all. It's more of a, how can we change the conversation so that we're not, you know, telling girls something that isn't necessarily true. Yeah, so it, it's, absolutely, we totally are for abstaining from sex until marriage. Yes. Totally. But... That doesn't mean that you can't be friends with a guy or talk to a guy or that you have to look like you're so pure that you would never, ever even be interested. Yeah, exactly. Because guys need some encouragement. So, you know, let's teach our daughters just how to how to talk. Be secure in themselves. Yeah, and how to talk to guys. And if you're really shy and you have no idea how to do that, my suggestion would be watch the girls who are good at it. Not the girls who are super flirty, but just those who are outgoing and that guys tend to talk to and just see what they do. Like, see what they do with their eyes, how they maintain eye contact, see how they keep conversations going. And, you know, just, I know it's a stretch for a lot of us, but just step out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Even if you do all of these things and you never meet a husband and you don't find one, at least you'll end it with a lot of friends and a great social group and a great Christian community around you. Yeah, and that's worth something. And that's a pretty great worst case scenario. Like this podcast? Then you'd love the blog. Join us at tolovehonorandvacuum.com, where Sheila blogs every weekday about marriage, faith, and, of course, sex. At the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum community, we deal with the messiness of life. We don't traffic in pat answers. Join us for thought-provoking posts, discussion starters, and great challenges to make your marriage and your love life strong. Our reader question this week is from a woman who is engaged but worried that her fiancé doesn't seem to regret his sexual past. She writes, I am engaged to a man who has come back to his Christian faith, but unfortunately he slept with several women before me. He was in a relationship with all of them, and he loved all of them. We have slept together, but he is my only sexual partner. He's an overall great man who loves me and wants a future with me, but I cannot get over his past. I have made great strides in my thinking. I used to picture him with the other women, and I no longer do that. I have such pain from comparison, however. He has so much more experience than me, and I constantly worry I don't measure up. Part of the problem is that he has also never told me that he regrets his sexual past. Do I have the right to ask him if he regrets it? I have forgiven him because I am a sinner too, but the emotional damage has been done, and I'm not sure if I can handle this or how to heal from this. I have read many comments that say their husbands told them that he regrets his past actions, or the wife knows that her husband didn't love his past sexual partners, and the wife has been the husband's only love, but none of these apply to me. I don't feel special to him sexually, and I never realized how important this would be since I hadn't had to deal with it. Okay. 
Good question. Very common question. I do want to say one thing. If you're sleeping with him right now before you're married, then that's a problem too. And that can be leading to a lot of this confusion. God really does want us to save sex for marriage. And it's not because he just arbitrarily calls it a sin. Um, and he wants us just to listen to him and obey him. That's not really the reason. When God puts boundaries around certain things, it's really for our best. And part of the issue with sex is that when we do have sex with someone, we feel very bonded. There's actually hormonal things that go on there like oxytocin. We release oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone. So we feel really, really close, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we are close. And what studies have shown is that people's emotional connection tends to stall at the level they were at when they started making love. So if you think about it, psychologists have said there's different levels of communication. There's the cliche, the very surface level communication, all the way down to ultimate vulnerability. But a lot of us don't even get down to the vulnerability side. We really only get to the level where maybe we're sharing our opinions, but we don't really necessarily share our deepest feelings, our deepest fears, because to get to that level, we have to really open up. And what a lot of people do is they replace that emotional opening up, which should happen before you're married, with a sexual opening up. And then you feel close when you're really not. And that's often when people can make bad marriage decisions. There's other reasons why we should save sex for marriage too. But I, I just did want to say that, is that this could be contributing to part of the problem. Um, and if you're upset that he had a sexual past, but you're now sleeping with him before the wedding, well, that is a bit of an issue. But let's just get to this thing about... Should he regret his sexual past? I think that sometimes in the church, we're so eager to have people wait until marriage that we portray all sex before marriage as, well, it must have been lousy and everyone is going to regret it and it's going to completely mess up their lives. When the truth is, you know, I did I did a lot of surveys for the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. And while people who were virgins on their wedding night did have better sex than people who were not, it's not like people who had sex before they were married had terrible sex. Like the differences, I think it was like a 12 or 15% difference. I'm, I'm going by memory, so I could be wrong on that. But it's, it's significant, but it's not huge, okay? And so, yeah, there are a lot of people who may have had a relationship or relationships before they were married and before they were a Christian that they actually enjoyed. And I think this idea that we now need them to say that it was lousy or that it hurt them is kind of difficult because you can actually enjoy relationships. Does that mean that they shouldn't have had it? Well, of course they shouldn't have had it because I don't believe that it's right. I do think that it, it can really mess up a lot of aspects of your life just as this letter writer shows. I mean, it's wrecking your future relationships. But to say that that relationship was necessarily um, a terrible experience for him that may be a difficult thing for him to say because it may not have been. Now, to ask that he would wish that you were his only sexual partner so that you were the only one that he experienced this with, that I think is valid. But to say that he has to regret them and think that they were terrible, I'm not sure that that is completely valid because some people actually had good relationships. Again, I wish they didn't. I, it's not that I think those things are right, but if somebody was with someone for a couple of years in college and they really enjoyed being with them, I think it's going to be hard for them to say, yes, they regret that experience because it might have been an important part of their life. So I think, I think it depends how you phrase things. Now, there is a bigger issue, though, which is if she is feeling like he's comparing her, 
uh, or that she is never going to be special in, in his eyes, that is something which needs to be sorted out before the wedding. You can't marry someone and then afterwards hold their sexual past over their heads because there's nothing they can do about that. They, they can't fix it. They can't make it go away. It's something they did in their past and they did it before this guy knew Jesus. And so when you get married, you are marrying that whole person and that includes their past. And so when you say that those vows, that's a promise that you accept what came before and you're not going to hold it over his head. Now, at the same time, he has to also put his past behind him and he has to assure you that he is never going to compare, that he isn't going to bring those other women up either in conversation or even more importantly in his thought life. He has to let those things go and he has to build a life just with you. But if you are not able to say that you can do that, then I would seriously reconsider the wedding because that's not going to be a safe emotional relationship either for you or your husband. So how do you heal from this? I think you just talk about it. You tell him your fears. You tell him that you're afraid that you just don't feel special. And then listen to what he says. Really express what you're feeling. Listen to how he accepts it and see if he can reassure you. And if he just doesn't get it, if he just doesn't understand that you don't feel special, then maybe it might be time to reevaluate the relationship. So I would listen to his heart about what it is that he's looking for and see if his heart matches up with yours. readers leave such awesome comments on Facebook, on the blog, on Twitter, wherever. And and I really think sometimes there's more wisdom on that side of the microphone than on this side. So every week I like to highlight a new comment. And um, for the last few weeks, I've been in a little bit of hot water over some of the stuff that I wrote about biblical counseling. Basically, to sum up, Biblical counseling is a movement within counseling. It's not the same thing as saying Christian counseling. Um, There's many, many Christian counselors of all kinds of different types, but a biblical counselor is a particular mindset or view of counseling, which says that the Bible is all sufficient for what we need. And they don't have licenses. They don't have professional accreditation. So there aren't the same kind of professional ethics where you could lose your license if you have bad counseling. And I was highly some of the problems with biblical counseling, including the fact that there is no confidentiality guarantee. So if you're seeing a biblical counselor in a church, often you have to sign a waiver that allows them to tell the church leadership if there's sin or other issues, which can be kind of dangerous because who gets to define what sin is? And I I talked about that in some of my posts. I'll link to them in the podcast uh, post um, for this podcast so that you can read the other things that I've written. And then I wrote again about the issue that a lot of biblical counselors don't necessarily refer when things are out of their specialty. And I quoted Rachel Den Hollander, who is one of the sexual abuse survivors of Larry Nasser, who's been an amazing advocate uh, for church sexual abuse victims. And one of the things that she said is that she has never met a sexual assault survivor who went to a biblical counselor who didn't come out more harmed. And that's a really difficult thing to say. And it's it, she said it pained her to say it. But the problem is that when you don't have proper training and how to deal with trauma, 
you can actually make things worse. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes the lens that biblical counselors tend to see issues through is that things are either an issue of sin or of lack of faith or that they don't have a proper view of God. And if we can fix those things, then everything would be fine. But sometimes people have actual injury, like a trauma. Sexual abuse causes trauma that needs to be treated. Or they have an actual biological issue, like depression can be biological, anxiety, all these things that may need medication. And my fear is that biblical counselors don't always give enough credence to that, and that can cause some issues. So I've written two posts about it. I have a final one coming out on Friday, which would just be my code of ethics and some ideas for how uh, biblical counselors could approach things so they have the same professional ethics and the same standards of best practices that licensed marriage and family therapists have. And I think that would cure a lot of the problems. Uh, But I did want to read one comment to you that came in from a woman. Um, She's a frequent commenter, Kay. She wrote this on the blog post on the initial thing about biblical counselors. She says, I already see comments on Facebook saying that you have mischaracterized biblical counseling, and I beg to differ. I saw a biblical counselor when I was struggling with postpartum depression and had just had a psychotic episode. The very first session, I was told that my postpartum depression was a sinful response to stressful circumstances, that no temptation had seized me except what is common to man. Um, That's a quote from 1 Corinthians 10. 13, I believe, which is exceptionally disturbing to hear when just a few days earlier I could have killed my baby and myself if God hadn't protected us from psychosis, and I was told to just do the right thing no matter how I felt. Just trying harder to follow God's way would free me from my depression. To some extent, hearing that it was my fault felt like good news at first because then I could fix it. The problem was that the harder I tried to be godly, the more manic I became and very soon was full-blown suicidal because no matter how hard I tried to do things God's way, I couldn't break free. I finally switched to a Christian counselor trained in postpartum depression and the very first session I was hospitalized. I saw the biblical counselor for months and she missed it. It was not okay. Not even a little bit okay. The hospitalization was the turning point in my journey. I wish I had gone months earlier instead of wasting all that time with a biblical counselor. I know that there are some amazing biblical counselors out there. I know that so many of them, and probably most of them, have become biblical counselors because they truly love Jesus and they want to see Jesus working in people's lives and healing people. My concern is that because there are not licenses, there is no way to take away someone's credentials when they do something like this and when they miss postpartum depression. And the other concern is that because they think that the Bible is all that we need, sometimes they can miss major things. I do believe that the Bible is God-breathed and that it's God's word and that it has wisdom for us that is absolutely necessary and that we should be meditating on it day and night. I don't, however, think that the Bible is a manual for everything in life. My husband's a medical doctor. He went through a lot of training and that matters. And I think a lot of psychologists, psychiatrists, even marriage and family therapists have also gone through a lot of training. And so my prayer is that we can find a way to bridge this gap so the biblical counselors can be used when it really is a faith issue. You know, when you're struggling with faith, when you're struggling with wondering if you should marry someone, when you're struggling with all of these things, yes, by all means, see a biblical counselor. But when you have something that's more intense, like trauma or like depression, 
my prayer is that biblical counselors will realize that maybe this isn't their strong point and that they will refer out. So I'll have more of that tomorrow, but I hope that helps explain some of my issues. It's not that I don't believe in biblical counselors. It's just that I'm uncomfortable because there's no way to take away licensing. There's no guarantee of confidentiality and too many think that they are equipped to counsel everything when many things require a whole lot more training. That's it for our To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast this week. Be sure to tune into the blog for lots of extras from the show so that you can go on some fun rabbit trails. And please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you normally download them. Until next time, speak up in your marriage, make great habits, and don't be afraid to change the dynamic if your current balance is off.